Hi folks, again a very warm welcome to the latest edition of our Generation podcast, uh, broadcasting from Edinburgh, Scotland to the uttermost ends of the earth. And uh, this is a podcast largely about mission, about church life, about lots of issues where we have interesting guests and we just talk about the issues of the day. We say that we are a non-celebrity podcast. But today we have made an exception. We have a celebrity. We have a published author. Uh, let me introduce uh, my friend John James. John is the author of this book. It's called Renewal. Okay, if you're interested in revitalization, church revitalization along the way of the cross. And John, of course, is the author of this. And we're going to talk about this book. And we're going to talk about lots of other things. John, it's great to have you with us. Well, it's really nice to be with you. I, I think calling me a celebrity is going a little bit far seeing as as far as we've ascertained, you're the only person who's purchased a copy of the book. But yeah, that's fine. That's fine. We'll carry on. <laughs> yeah, I, I would cheekily say that I didn't even buy it. Someone gave it to me, but I did buy it. And not only, not only did I buy it, I recommend it to all our revitalizers, and I hope that they will fly off the shelf and provide you with a very nice pension pot at the end of it. John, t- tell me your story. Um, where were you born, bred? Uh, how did you become a Christian? Yeah, I grew up in um, Scarborough in North Yorkshire. So I'm a Yorkshire, Yorkshireman. Um, and uh, I became a Christian at the age of 17. So I grew up in a Christian home um, and my parents really witnessed to me. But I think um, I kind of consciously drifted really away um, from quite sort of from through my teenage years and then came to faith at the age of 17 and uh, almost, you know, a few few months really before then kind of leaving home and, and going off to university in Birmingham. And, uh, and Birmingham was just massively formative in terms of my discipleship as a Christian, as a believer. Um, and uh, I got involved in a church plant there uh, called City Church Birmingham uh, in my second year as a student. That was in 1999. And, uh, and and that's really where I grew as a Christian. And then uh, eventually I was sent off to Bible college and we didn't really think we would return to Birmingham. I married a Brummie, which was to my credit. And, um, and but, but amazingly, yeah, God kind of opened up this opportunity for us to come back to the city um, into kind of church revitalization context, which was where I've been for the last 10 years, pretty much. So from 2010, um, and uh, just last year, we moved on from that context. John, you, you, you don't look old enough to have been somewhere. You look, as we'd say in Scotland, like a fresh-faced loon. <laughs> so so you've been at Crossway Birmingham for 10 years. Where are you now? Yeah, so I'm, I'm actually strangely back at City Church Birmingham, which was the church that uh, I was involved in as a student, um, and have just taken on the role as the lead pastor in that context. So uh, that church is now about, well, just over 20 years old. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a move that we kind of orchestrated or calculated would happen. We've been incredibly happy. And that's my wife and I have been kind of saying to each other, this is that, you know, this is the happiest we've ever been in ministry, you know, over the last few years, just really enjoying um, the way God's been at work in the life of the church. And of course, I think that's God's sense of humour, really. And he kind of moved moved us on, really, um, uh, and called us into this new 
context, which we're delighted to follow his call on. And the church continues, Crossway continues without us now, uh, with um, our assistant pastor now stepping into the to the role of pastor there. So there's been a bit of a change through through lockdown, really, which I think has probably been hard for the churches in, in question. Um, but we trust that God knows what He's doing with us all. Okay, so you were a student in Birmingham and then you went off to study theology. Where did you study? Oak Hill, North London. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you're you're at Oak Hill. Tell me the story about Crossway. Yeah. How did the romance begin? The romance? Well, that's a great question, actually. So for me, um, when I was kind of at City Church, Birmingham before Bible College and I was beginning to just sort of test a sense of calling and being given some preaching opportunities and that kind of thing I was quite often sent to little struggling churches around Birmingham um, little brethren halls and places like that um, where they might appreciate a visiting preacher and I'd kind of go and kind of uh, give them give them as good as I could give them in that context and they would sort of uh, you know fall asleep or whatever whatever in the middle of it all but genuinely I my heart was just stirred every time I visited one of these contexts because what I discovered was um, actually they were although they were struggling, although they were kind of disconnected very often from their local community, and also perhaps to some degree kind of not really sure what they should be doing, they were kind of, a they were churches that were made up of people who loved the Lord Jesus, who loved his word, were delighted just to be kind of receiving God's word together as, as churches, were often incredibly faithful and prayerful, and had a real godly concern for their context, even if they weren't quite sure what they should be doing. So I think even before we went off to Bible college, there was something kind of in my heart that really just just was there for, the, for that situation. And then when we were at college, we were praying through all kinds of opportunities. Um, well, not so much opportunities. It's not like you know, I kind of had rafts of opportunities, but we were just trying to discern what to do. And we had a heart for church planting. We had a heart for the city of Birmingham that we knew and loved. My wife uh, is a Brummie. But um, <clears throat> we weren't quite sure what the right thing to do was. And then this, this kind of opportunity came upon us, really, because the church in question was the church my wife grew up in. So it used to be a little brethren hall. Um, it had kind of got down to about 15 members, something like that. Sarah's parents, my wife Sarah, her parents were still part of the church family. And so we just, and I preached there a few times. I knew they had one elder left in the church, uh, Tony. And um, I knew Tony a little bit, well enough to just pick up the phone if, you know, maybe start a conversation. And we just kind of caught wind really of the fact that they were, they'd given themselves about two years to kind of die gracefully, basically. That's, that's kind of what, just self-consciously, they'd realised what stage they were at. And so I think in that context, we just thought, well, maybe we could talk to them about not dying, or at least before you die, <laughs> let's do something reckless together, you know, kind of thing. And I think it was actually quite a good context to kind of then begin to explore a conversation in relation to church revitalization. And at the same time, we kind of had friends in the city who were... Um, 
trying to think about how to catalyze church planting and revitalization around the city. So um, a group of church pastors sort of began to launch 2020 Birmingham, which was kind of had a desire, a heart really to be a bit of a movement for church planting. And so in the end, what happened was we came back to the city. We became the first of the kind of 2020 Birmingham projects. Um, but it was very much really the call of that local church to say, we we want this, we'd like this, we'd like this to happen. And even though they didn't know me terribly well, they knew my wife um, from of old. And they kind of, I think they sort of thought, who is this punk? Probably a bit like you, kind of, he looks about 12 years old. <laughs> what on earth is going on here? Um, but at least, you know, Sarah married the bloke, so he can't be all bad. You know, and that was probably the basis on which the whole thing began. Yeah, what does it say? If you don't have orthodoxy, you marriage orthodoxy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I mean, a couple of things just just to get, get a little bit of focus. Did the church have a self awareness of its decline? I, I often say that revitalization is a bit like a twelve step program in AA. You know, step one is to admit that you have a problem. Yeah, yeah. I I, I think that's really really true. I think. Um, what I'd say is I think amongst the leadership team that was that that existed, I don't think it was universally shared amongst the leadership team, but effectively Tony, who was the elder there, the kind of and effectively had kind of been pastor in the church. He'd never have wanted to be sort of uh, spoken of in those terms, but um, that's effectively what he'd done. And so there was recognition from him and then other sort of key stakeholders, I'd say, were very aware. And actually later on, I kind of dug out um, so from their old minutes, a uh, paper someone had written, which would just basically kind of, it was just charting kind of the trajectory in terms of individual members, just saying basically, well, you know, we'll all be 90 or, you know, it was just really, and so there was a degree of wrestling with that. And like I say, they'd kind of given themselves two years to kind of die die well. Um, I think they'd also recognised that other churches like themselves had died not terribly well um, around them and they kind of thought we don't want to make that mistake we don't want to just be a situation where it's kind of the last people left switching out the lights how do we sort of close yeah had it ever had a heyday as a church yeah very much so so actually um kind of in the in the sort of 60s um from really the fifth so it was planted in the 30s the sort of 50s through to the 70s was a real heyday. It was it was well known as a church. It had a huge youth ministry. Um, it had a balcony area that was, you know, apparently packed to the rafters. And yeah, I mean, it, it had really flourished, I think, over the years. And in terms of its local community, it had a it had a sort of mixed reputation. So for some people, it was quite um, it was a sort of impenetrable thing. It was this kind of thing that other people did. So it become a bit of a commuters church you know people drove in on a Sunday opened it up and then closed it down it's in the middle of um a relatively uh needy kind of council estate in the south of Birmingham so it's in the sort of top eight percent most deprived communities of the UK or something um something like that so it, you know people would drive in open up have a service and leave and so it had that reputation and people just thought one guy said to me I thought it was a church for judges. I said, what do you mean a church for judges? He said, well, people, are, they all wear suits. You know, they all wear suits when they go yeah. in, you know. And he, 
his only experience of wearing a suit had obviously been in court, you know. So, yeah. but actually, that was that was it. That so there was that kind of bit of reputation. But I think as well, there was a sense in which for local people, some of them, you know, had grown up going to the church. It had a huge Sunday school um, back in the in the um, in its early years, and some of the old photos and things, you just kind of thought, "Wow, it's extraordinary, really." And you know, I mean, the guy who um, cut my hair on the high street I mean it hasn't been cut for a long time but <laughs> that's lockdown for you but I mean he used to go to the Sunday school there so we'd have great conversations about just where he was at and that kind of thing but so it was a mixture but I think not altogether bad at all you know yeah. all that so t- tell me what were the reasons for decline you know I'm thinking maybe the usual um, suspects it wasn't culture relevant you know the the background you know culture had changed the church hadn't maybe there were some personality issues you know churches have I'll get comorbidities lots of things going on tell me what a few of them were yeah so I think um and this isn't a criticism necessarily of any individual but I think there was a leadership issue you know so I think um I, I do think that's a massive issue for revitalization is basically if there's if if there's um if there's if there's problems at a leadership level. So there's no kind of real act. They were in maintenance mode and had been for a very long time. So I think a lot of the decision making had been just tiny little decisions, one after another, after another, after another. It's never a big thing, isn't it? It's no, lots of little things. And it was just cumulatively, they were always decisions to play safe, to be a little bit more comfortable, to kind of serve the interests of those on the inside. Um, and, you know, little incremental things. So a lot of so the areas of the church that had just effectively been kind of boarded up, um, that we kind of needed to smash down <laughs> and kind of open up again. And 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 that was like almost like a metaphor really for the for the way that the decision making process had been all the way along so i think that was a big issue i think yeah the disconnect between the church family and the community in which this church met um and was seeking to kind of build bridges there was a huge mismatch there um now it takes it takes a lot, a lot of humility for a leadership you know, a group of folk to say, oh, we are we are not cutting this anymore. Do, do you find that's quite quite common for a leadership to have that self-awareness or is that a, a potential conflict area? Well, I think what I've discovered, so I guess what we've done is um, not only our context, but as we've sought to tell the story a little bit, we've seen it in a few other contexts around the city as well. So there's a couple of other really fantastic kind of revitalization projects going on as well at the moment which um i'm just really thrilled by but what i would say is that there's seems to be just a real i think the talk of it is there very actually amongst a number of churches i've spoken to lots of churches about their desire in a sense to do to see happen in their context what's happened at at crossway church but um, the difference between kind of talking about it and actually ha- it happening, making that hard decision, is there's a there's a huge difference between those things. And I, it's quite a, it takes a lot of courage actually just to say we're going to do this. It's it's risky, like humanly speaking, it's it's riskier um, to, to to kind of in a sense 
surrender <laughs> to change. Yeah. Let me talk. Let me talk. Uh, I'm going to talk a, a little bit about hardware changes in a minute, but let me talk about software changes, specifically prayer and preaching. Is there a way in which the culture of prayer changed from you know the moment you went in and has subsequently developed? Yeah. I mean, I actually think the church was praying you know I think it really was and in many ways what happened was the result of the prayers of the church I'm convinced that you know we by God's grace he kind of really answered their prayers perhaps not in the way that (laughs) they would have wanted but I think that um yeah I mean that was absolutely priority The, the two key priorities were to preach the bible week in and week out so they they lived on a diet of visiting preachers with a variety of kind of um i guess eccentric tendencies of one kind or another um some actually very very good preachers um and actually they had you know we kind of made the decision together that we'd move to much more in-house consecutive expository preaching so there was no coherent philosophy of of ministry. There was no coherent theology. Um, yeah. So so you, you began to get the church praying more. You you began to preach through the Bible, like the Bible speak, Absolutely. kind of more gospel orientated stuff. Was Just that a difficult process? Yeah, I, I mean, it was it was because effectively they were having to say goodbye to some of their friends, you know, people that they loved, pe- preachers that they were probably better preachers than me, but actually out of a desire to kind of let the let the word do the work, you know, I, that was my conviction coming in was that basically we needed to let God's word set the agenda much more in terms of uh, and 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 also to really lead through the preaching of the word and not there seemed to be a disconnect between the kind of Sunday ministry and then sort of the decision-making process and the leadership that was kind of existing. And I wanted to bring that very much together. And then, yeah, I think prayer, I mean, we, we basically, the, the tone and the priorities within our kind of leadership team changed massively. So did the prayer meetings look different? Were there different opportunities for prayer, like prayer triplets and um, you know, so, so what did that look like? How did the prayer meetings change? How did the prayer culture change? Because I think we, we've got to go bigger than just prayer meetings. I often speak about a prayer culture. Um, not everyone can get to a classic Wednesday night prayer meeting. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I, you know, I don't think we had a program. Well, we didn't have a, a sort of immense kind of program in relation to that. We actually, we did introduce prayer triplets and we did, you know, we tried to sort of really um, grow, cultivate that, that, that prayer. I think the key area where the program f- prayer changed was probably within the already existing meetings so we basically tried to put prayer front and center and actually uh some exposition as well so so the word and the prayer was kind of at the heart of what we were doing even as we met as elders as we you know in in, in other contexts as well which which hadn't been happening it's slightly become kind of business business meetings you know in one way or another yeah i mean there, there are a number of other things that we did which I think all kind of 
feed into this, but one of them would be that um, we there was no formal membership in the church, so it 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 lacked clarity in terms of its kind of constitu- constitution, in terms of its own understanding, e- even its statement of faith. It didn't have a formal statement of faith, so we adopted a statement. But one of the first things I did was preach effectively through a statement of faith, and then adopt it we adopted it together as a church family but i mean that you know this this is these are the kind of perils of independence in a sense that you're that you're kind of getting an insight into but i think that um the reason i mention it is that actually what it meant was that we were trying to raise the level of ownership and therefore the burden in a sense for prayer amongst us as a community um and i think that was a really healthy thing to do yeah yeah. So, you know, for any church to be revitalised, you've got prayer, you've got preaching, and, and, you know, these are very powerful things. You've got the oxygen yeah. of the Holy Spirit being, you know, Amen. blown into the church and things are coming alive. I, I'm really interested in worship um, because I think singing is important. I think, you know, it's not just superficial to say that, um, you know, singing is irrelevant, that, you know, God is the audience of our singing, which is actually not true because we have to sing to each other as well as sing to God. So was there a change in the worship philosophy and the worship style? The the words, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I mean, the culture really on a Sunday morning changed dramatically. Now, some of that just happened by virtue of the fact that you know, a small core team of of folk joined the church, and you know the dy- the, the demographic had changed. But I am I'm kind of one hundred percent with you. I think joy. I can't remember who said it. it might be someone like C.S. Lewis or someone, but um, or maybe Jonathan Edwards. I don't. I can't. <laughs> it's a bit bad that I can't remember who it is. But this idea that joy, une- joy unexpressed is incomplete. You know, and I just think there's something really in that. And I think that's one of the things that our corporate kind of singing really does. It actually allows us to express together uh, and complete then in that sense, the our kind of joy in the Lord. And my kind of heart's desire was that, yeah, we, it wouldn't become this thing I was driving or this thing that, you know, this thing that I was kind of trying to beat a church into shape somehow, but it would be something God would be doing very much amongst us. Recognising that actually this chapter, in a sense, you know, the church had existed for (laughs) decades and decades, way before I'd come. And my prayer is it will exist, you know, for many more after me, you know. Um, So actually, like, we're just a small piece in this this story of a church that, God has brought into existence, um, you know, graciously, and we get to play a part in this chapter of its story in terms of its faithfulness in, you know, its witness in the local community. And I think, yeah, so we, we did, I mean, you know, in practical terms, yeah, the, the style, uh, uh, the singing, um, all of that changed. Yeah. You've got a great piece in the book that speaks about planting and revitalization as being hard work. And then you ask a question provocatively, hard for who? And, you know, it's a rhetorical question, of course, because God is in the life giving business. 
Can yeah. you comment a wee bit more about how your, I guess how your how your your Calvinism, how you, how your your view of God um, has informed and inspired your ministry? Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, I think it really informs and inspires everything. Really, that when we when we when we really consider deeply the sovereignty of God in relation to these these practical outworkings, I think. I mean, early on, the first 18 months was really difficult. And actually, we had people just leave because the change was too difficult, really, for them. Some of it was to do with kind of specifically a kind of loss of power, a, a sense of happening, you know, the, the kind of difference between talking about change and then the reality of change and that kind of thing. And some of it was just, um, yeah, they just didn't like the direction. They didn't like where things were heading. They wanted uh to in a sense preserve the way things used to be and i think in those first 18 months you know in terms of what was practically on display <laughs> like I, we had i think um five funerals i mean this age of the, you know we were, we were we were small we had five funerals no baptisms no one joined the church you know and we and I, and I think I you know people were looking at me thinking who is this guy you know he's he's killing us all off one by one you know the undertaker exactly the undertaker's arrived but actually uh just trusting in the sovereignty of god in all of that and that he his his ordained me, ordained means you know his means of grace are enough and to just believe that actually things done his way uh you know that's that's all we can do in effect, was 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 very very helpful to me and then th and then things did turn a corner you know we got to we got to see god work in miraculous ways in in wonderful ways in the life of the church but yeah that that sense of um you know someone said to me um it's it's easier to give birth than raise the dead was their phrase as if to say you know go plant a church you know don't this you know revitalization is kind of is is uh is pointless really uh just go plant a church and and that was really the thing where i just thought for you know for whom is it easier you know genuinely yeah. i mean actually if we believe in a god who delight absolutely delights to raise the dead i mean that is <laughs> it's on every page of the bible yeah. the god yeah. we believe in he's a god who gives life and the, you know the spirit is the giver of life I, I just think um if we don't believe that, that i mean we, you need that if you're planting a church anyway i mean you, you know every 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 christian ministry requires that but i think there's actually something really um thrilling about being part of something that kind of demonstrably requires the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Absolutely. Yeah, we're, we're talking about a medical situation because it's only God that can do this. You've got another, I mean, there's so many good, good things in the book, I can't begin to, to explain it, but you've got another really good book about, I think you're explaining the connection between the sovereignty of God and human strategy. And you're saying, you know, we don't plant jelly beans or rocks the seed is important. And it seems to me that you had a sensitivity about strategy. You planted good seeds. 
how important strategy, I'm overflowing a little bit here, maybe in, in your city church job now, uh, how important is, is strategy in, in your own ministry philosophy? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's a good question because I, I slightly waver on this, I have to say. Like, I think there have been times when I've thought strategy is kind of everything, you know, and yeah. strategy, strategy is vision for breakfast kind of mentality and and all of that and I, yeah. I I do agree with that I do I really do I think and actually coming into a new context um that's also really that's also really evident I think um I think what I'd say though is that cultural change um it's there's no easy way, like there's no strat, like strategy alone is not enough really uh-huh. for cultural change. And and if the change you're trying to bring in is, you know, in a sense, um, gospel change or a change that you pray will produce uh, a, a culture that reflects the goodness of God, say, that kind of idea, then actually... Um, it's just slow. It's just long term, and the strategies deployed will be multiple, <laughs> a myriad of different options will be will be going. But actually, what probably matters more than anything else is is your character in the midst of it all. Mm. I I've found that it's not what you do; it's kind of how you do it, really, that's as important as the actual strategy itself it's the it's the it's you as the person in the mix as well yeah. and i think we sometimes underplay that so i think we underplay kind of what you as an individual bring into the mix of the context that you're in but i think probably actually the most important thing we can do is just guard our own hearts seek to be as demonstrably kind of reliant on god in the midst of everything that we're doing um probably not actually think you've got all the answers you know um but in terms of you know my kind of strategic plan or whatever else i think strategy is essential <laughs> don't miss it yeah but i think that alone it's not enough i think and yeah i i, I mean I, I guess it's like driving a manual car you know you get three pedals you've got an accelerator brake and clutch um, the actual quote, I think, is, is Drucker's quote, culture eats strategy for breakfast. So, you know, one of your pedals culture, uh, one of them's character, and one of them's strategy. So it's a, a judicious use of all three. And, you know, that's really important, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's great. You've just corrected the quote that I clearly got incredibly <laughs> But that, that's, that's the, yeah, that is the point. Cult, culture is kind of, is everything really and actually what your you the way that you change culture is is um is i honestly think it's there's there are these sort of make or break moments really where it is a lot to do with your courage and your willingness to just demonstrably kind of be god's man in the middle of it all really and 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 be be different because if you think of you know jesus jesus was so utterly independent and different you know he didn't speak like the other religious leaders he you know he followed his own 
star. Okay, he was the Messiah, the Son of God. He had a big star. But, you know, if we have to be Christ-like, so, so edginess doesn't come from skinny jeans and red converse. Yeah. Edginess comes from that just God-given character and boldness. And bo- I, I used to think that boldness was the ability to shout and scream, but it's, it's no, Jesus had a different boldness, didn't he? Yeah, absolutely. And I I think that this is, you know, this is the, <laughs> we, we model that, we model that in the way that we conduct ourselves. And that conviction, really, from God that you, he's put you here to do what he's asking you to do, not to just simply please other people or um, follow out the kind of, uh, f- follow their the, the the desires of what what others are asking of you, but instead to just say no, no, you know this is this is what God is asking us to do, and you really, I think we need to really stay close to the Lord yeah. in that. You know, no, people pleasing is a huge idol in folks' lives. I mean, I don't know if you struggle with that. I Absolutely. do. Most folk do. How how do we as fellow people pleasers overcome that? Um. Well, I think some of it is a bit of, like, for me, some of it's a kind of messianic complex, you know. Mm. That I think I even have the power <laughs> to sort of ability to somehow keep, make everyone happy, which is just a nonsense. I mean, it's utterly ridiculous when you stop and think about it. And actually, there was a point for me where I had to really just take stock of like the way that I was working and the, the the way that I was just throwing myself into stuff. I went to see the GP and she kind of said to me, you know, and I was just completely run down and, you know, been like this way for ages and I was just sharing. She said, well, what do you do? And I said, oh, I'm a church pastor. And she sort of rolled her eyes at me and kind of said, well, how many hours do you work? You know, I said, gave a vague kind of, I gave a vague number and then, you know, she kind of said, well, you know, when did you last have a day off? You know, and I kind of sort of slightly looked at the ceiling and looked a bit sheepish. And she just, she looked at me and this is a, this is my GP, you know, I, I don't think she's a believer at all, but she, she looked at me and she said, you know, you don't need to save the world today, John. Mm-hmm. And I kind of thought, what, what do you mean? You know, and I thought, oh, this is a wonderful opportunity. I can tell her all about it. <laughs> it's all right. Actually, somebody already has, you know. And then I kind of thought, no, that's exactly my problem. You know, that is exactly my problem, that I think I I think I am the Messiah, <laughs> you know, basically. Yeah. I love the words of John, you know, John the Baptist says, guys, I am not the Christ, you know. <laughs> I can't do it, you know. I am not the Christ, absolutely. And so, I mean, for me, that's... that's um, I think the only way to kill that idol is to is to really believe that he is the Christ, actually. And but isn't it hard to drop plates? If these plates are sometimes not plates but people, you know, to recognise that you're not going to do it, that, you know, there are certain people who could have a full-time pastor working on them 24-7 for years. Yeah. Is there ever a time to walk away? Um, yes, I I think that I think there absolutely is. I think that it's not though. When you say kind of is dropping people or walking away from people, I think 
if we understand the dynamic to be one in which um, our our responsibilities continually to point people to someone else, yeah. then actually um, it may well be that there are other, you know, if we're equipping a church family, say, to that task, then it's not just one person's responsibility. We can play that role. There may be ways I can continue to play that role, certainly through my preaching or, you know, um, in other interactions, but to be that person sort of day in, day out, day in, day out, actually to say, well, the person, the saviour has not dropped them. <laughs> you know, that's, that's one thing we can say for sure. And actually, if my responsibility is to equip a body for works of service, then there'll be others who can point them to Christ as well. But, but, but I guess, you know, even Jesus, there were certain conversations, you know, the rich young ruler, he looked at him, he loved him, he told his peace, and then he, he moved on. You know, he did move on from people. Yeah. Um, sometimes physically we, we've got to move on, but I, as you say, you've got that conversation with other folk in the church. People themselves have to pick up a bit of uh, responsibility for their own lives. And, and to some degree, you know, that's been what I've had to grapple with moving on from Crossway, you know, having been there for 10 years, just saying it's someone else's responsibility now at this point. And that's really, that's been really, really hard. I mean, it's been, it's been a sort of season of grief, really, to have to do that. But, but the, I mean, trust me, it is liberating. I, I was in the same church for 31 years. I, I was a planter and I stayed with that church for 31 years. But, uh, you know, I loved it. We left well. It's It's yeah. been liberating actually knowing that, you know, it's it's God's church and, you know, it's thrived since I moved on. I think I've thrived. Everybody's done well. There's tiny seasons that you move on. Well, I heard it thrive because he had moved on. That was that was. Well, I mean. <laughs> There's a bit of truth in that. There's a bit of truth in that. I said to the new guy, who's also a really good friend, that says, "Let's just don't screw up," and uh, he hasn't. Too bad. Um, do you do you like ministry? Do you enjoy? It? Enjoy? It? I mean, do you say to your wife sometimes, hey, "This is fun." Yeah, I I really do. I'll be honest with you. I love I love ministry um, most of the time. <laughs> and actually, before we before we left, kind of Crossway, we'd been saying to each other, "This is the happiest we've ever been in ministry." <laughs> at this point, the last few years at Crossway were were just just are oh, just really really rich ones. Um, and I think we'd kind of oh, I think we just allowed ourselves to enjoy some of the fruit of the labor you know we'd kind of really toiled away in those early years and then um it was kind of then became just a kind of church you know local church um and and then we just really started to enjoy all the implications of that but i i think you know god has a sense of humor doesn't he in terms of then moving us on or (laughs) saying yes well you know that's it's time for something new I think in in our new context, I think in the middle of lockdown, I think um, it's been difficult. It's been a difficult move. Um, and we face, you know, big challenges as a church as we kind of work out 
the future together I, as I work out what it means to be kind of yeah now, City Church Birmingham is that the church that John Stevens was involved in back in the day yeah, yeah. how difficult is it you know going back you know you were you were the boy when you went there now you're lead pastor I know I was their first ever ministry trainee <laughs> so like just bonkers really um and nobody would have imagined it I think um least of all me well yeah so I I um it's strange but I think the the, the thing that it, I mean it's a church with quite a high turnover so there aren't that many people who kind of knew me from before um it's it's kind of a church with sort of hub church sensibilities in a sense so it does a lot of kind of raising up and sending out um it has a thriving student ministry um and i think one of my prayers coming in is that actually um as a church it has been really helpful in terms of catalyzing revitalization around the city and i think my heart is that kind of actually we'll be able to continue to do that you know and that, that will be a be sort of one of the joys of of ministry in this context but um it's strange yeah it's a little bit strange i think it, we're all adjusting to it um but you know. Are you allowed to meet physically in England just now? So you, it's possible to. Yeah, yeah, it is. But we don't own our own building. So we would normally meet in a school and they're not letting us meet at the moment. We were meeting in a cinema for a little bit um, because they were, they, they sort of said that they'd let us in. But they're closed at the moment. So at the moment we're live streaming everything. Yeah. Yeah. How important are buildings? By that, I mean, how important is it, number one, to have one? I think increasingly they are, by the way. Uh, how important is the look of the building? Like, Crossway, did the building change? Did that impact the culture? Yeah. So, at Crossway, the building was really important. I, I think because we had a building, we basically tried to leverage that as kind of, you know, in terms of mission, and in terms of our presence in the local community as much as we possibly could and found that there were real strengths to that. So um, the building is not very attractive. It's not very impressive at all. But in terms of that estate, so a uh, council estate of around 4,000 homes, it's the only, there's, no, there's one other community facility, um, which is smaller than ours, and there are no other churches that meet on that estate. So the Anglican church got burnt down. A few, not it was before me. It was nothing to do with me when it got burnt down. Whatever the rumours are, but um, that that uh, that meant that basically we were the, we were the only kind of Christian presence, if you like, on the on on the estate. I think the I think bricks and mortar kind of make a bit of a statement. For a, for a community like that, they say that we're here for the long haul. We we're not going anywhere. We're not a transient thing. We um, we just here. And a lot of people basically regarded us as their kind of parish church. I mean, we married people and stuff. You know, just who were people in the community and had great opportunities. You know, I, I in some ways I kind of you know became the the guy who did people's funerals locally and that kind of stuff because. You just get known in that way and linked. But, uh, I mean, I think an independent church can be the parish church. I often say that the parish church is not necessarily as we have in Scotland, the Church of Scotland, or in England, the, the C of E. You know, 
the, yeah. the parish church is a church in the locality yeah. that cares for that community and we should have a parish mentality. Yeah, yeah. I think that's absolutely the approach we took at Crossway. Um, and so we effectively kind of worked out what our parish was, you know, in that sense and kind of gave ourselves to that. Um, with City, I think we're still, you know, got to work all that out. Really. It's a different kind of mod- model of ministry. And um, I think uh, in some ways it's kind of, a church that uh has has two kind of two kind of focuses you know it's a church that's existed now for well over 20 years so it's also it's got people who are very settled very much rooted in the city care for the city care for their communities and figuring out then how we basically resource ministry and the front line well in that context without a building is difficult although we do we actually do have a few buildings but they're not big enough for a whole church to meet in yeah so you in there in october am i right in saying then that you've never seen your congregation together physically that's that's exactly right i mean we met for a month in october in the in the cinema in the odeon cinema so that was like a massive high priority for me was to try and get us to meet physically because like was, I, was everyone together in october well, no, because there wasn't room and with social distancing and we had to have tickets and all that. So, yeah. yeah it, so the closest really we've got has been members meetings on Zoom. So that tells you, and they and that's not very close. <laughs> it's a reality. Well, I'm, I, we're Presbyterians. We don't have members meetings all you know, once, a, <laughs> once a year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that's been hard for it's been hard just preaching, actually. I I am really I feel incredibly de-skilled as a pastor. Yeah. Uh, you know, all the soft skills that I just would be so reliant on for ministry, I just feel I they've all been taken from me because we're we're on screens. But um that's the situation. In one sense it's it's an opportunity to trust even more in the sovereignty of God and <laughs> in the midst of these things as i'm preaching to a camera thinking yeah. i believe in the holy spirit <laughs> you know i believe i believe in the authoritative word of god i'm just trying to be faithful here and you do what you want to do lord but um it's difficult yeah so that's the challenge now so um let's the, the, the renewal uh are, are you hearing how it's going do you ever get any feedback i mean it's five years old now so yeah i get i get feedback and i people get in touch from time to time it was nice that you got in touch and wanted to talk about it i mean that's lovely but um yeah i mean i think it's weird when you you this i've written another book since then about basically um uh sort of a a church movement uh, church planting movements and that kind of thing which was really our story of 2020 birmingham um but uh, and i wrote that with neil powell um but they what they just kind of have a life of their own after that you just kind of have to believe this was something worth doing (laughs) and that you know the lord will use it it was a slightly accidental thing in the first place because i'd written some articles for the fic and effectively the articles were were too long and i had more to say and yeah, they kind of encouraged me to go down this route. So it wasn't something I'd aspirations for at all, really. But um, it's nice to hear that it gets used, and it does get used in a few different 
places, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, I like it when leadership groups take it and go through it and just use it as a manual, use some of the stuff, critique it, you know, yeah. bump against it. John, thanks for, you know, giving us time today. You know, folk, again, I'll put all this product placement renewal by John James. If you want to know what John is doing in, doing these days, you know, again, Google City Church Birmingham. Uh, we've got a very funky website that you can look in and listen to his preaching. Uh, the the book in the Church Planting Movement I've read also, and it's certainly okay. worth reading. Um, John. Thank you so much for giving us time today. Well, we wish you every you blessing. Thanks very much. Have you ever been in Scotland? Um, my sister lives in Glasgow. She's married to a Glaswegian. So, yeah, and uh, we absolutely love holidays uh, on a Scottish island. So we've been to Isla and we've been to um, Skye and we've been to Arran. And, yeah, so I just I absolutely love what I've seen of Scotland. Yeah. If you have been to Skye and you have been to Glasgow... Um, really, you have you have arrived. Yeah. Well, I feel like it. Honestly, I, yeah, love it. <laughs> John, thank you so much for giving us your time, and we will head off. Um, Generation Podcast folk, again, thank you for listening, for viewing. Our video thing is experimental. Uh, I'm not a great fan of videos. Um, more the old school podcast type. Give us your feedback. Do you like the videos? Will we scrap it? Um, will I have to go into makeup before we do the videos in the future? Thank you and tune in next week. Thank you for giving us time. Mm-hmm.